Y'all ready for the word today? Yes. That was weak. Let's try this again. Y'all ready for the word today? Yes. All right. It's the third service of the day. You got to shout loud back at me. All right. First Kings chapter 19. We're going to go there again. I want to, I want to stay here. There's some things that I think are um, important for us to see and grab a hold of. Is it right if I get challenged, if I get up in our business today? Is that all right? Four of you are okay with it? All right, the rest of you buckle up. First Kings 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, how many of you agree with me? That's a very long sentence for this truth right here. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Like how many of you would agree with me? It would have been easier if the messenger said, Elijah, Jezebel is going to kill you. She's coming for you. She's going to take your life. But it doesn't say that she said that. How many of you agree with me? There's labor behind these words. How many of you would agree with me? There's intention behind these words. How many of you would agree with me that there's precision behind these words? Jezebel was trying to send not just a message. She was trying to send something a whole lot bigger. And we know that it was massive and the words were huge because of what happens next in verse three. Then Elijah became afraid and he immediately ran for his life. Now, as I've examined this piece of scripture, I've always wondered why would Elijah run at the words of Jezebel? What was it about the words? What was it that, that put more stank on them? What put, what put so much power on them? Why did that, that, in that moment, why did her words get into Elijah this way? James chapter 3, verses 6 to 12 tells us. James writes this, and the tongue is a fire. Every shall fire? The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and it's itself, listen to this statement, set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Woo! With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Today, as we continue on in our series, Shadows in the Light, I want to speak to you from this subject today. If you're writing notes, write this down at the top of your paper. Set on fire by hell. Set on fire by hell. As we look at the power of our words and the impact that they have on who we are and the condition of our souls. We pray with you just one more time today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, speak to us right now. No one needs my words, we need your words. And so God, with open hearts and open minds and open ears, we come to your word today. We ask that you would just reveal new angles and realities, truths that anchor our lives. God, we just submit our souls to you today. Have your work in us and in this place. 
In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. And the church shouted? Amen. Amen. There are not too many people who have heard of Patrick and Catherine O'Leary. In their small barn located 137 DeCoven Street on the south side of the city of Chicago. As the story goes, on the night of October 8th, 1871, at the barn of the O'Leary's, a small lantern would be kicked over by one of their animals, which would ignite one of the largest and most destructive fires that the city would ever see. In a city that had been riddled with drought and dryness, historians would call Chicago a dry kindling ready for a spark. In the aftermath of the great fire, the city would see, according to the National Geographic, an area four miles long and one mile wide burnt. They'd go on to say that the fire, and I quote, destroyed 17,500 buildings and 73 miles of street. 90,000 people, or one in three Chicago residents at the time, were left homeless by the fire. And while only 120 bodies were recovered, it is believed that 300 people died in the blaze. One publication writes, as the size of the blaze grew, it created its own weather patterns, generating strong winds and heat, which is said to have ignited rooftops ahead of the actual blaze. The fire would continue for 36 hours, Monday into early Tuesday, October 10th. In commenting about the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, an unknown bystander would say this, and I want you to hear these words. Think about this for a second. A tiny spark birthed a colossal fire, forever changing the course of Chicago's history. It's this historic fire that comes to mind when I read about Elijah's reaction to Jezebel's words and James's caution on the power of our tongue. It would be the great theologian, St. Augustine, who would say this, the tongue is a small member, but it can accomplish great things. It possesses the power to build or to destroy, to heal or to harm, to bless or to curse. Martin Luther would say that words have the power to shape reality. What I want to submit to us today is that your words and my words have the ability to set the course of our life and others' lives or your words and my words have the ability to set somebody's soul on fire. Now, the conversation of words and what we say and how we use our words, I think has been deemed as inappropriate for church life. We, we say things like, oh, that's a self-help message. Or when you're talking about the power of your words, it sounds like you're, you're kind of, you're saying like, name it and claim it and whatever you say that's going to take place. And that's not what I'm talking about today because scripture is going to teach us that the words that we say and the words that we allow into our lives are vastly powerful that they have the ability to set the course of our life, to form people, to form ourselves. And on the adverse side, some of us are sitting in this room today and our life is the product of somebody's words that got up in our soul and like Elijah caused us to flee for our life. Yes. Come on, is the church with me this morning? Yes. So speaking on the authority, someone shout authority. authority. The authority of our words, Jesus would declare this to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So the Greek words that are used here to bind and to loose 
are words that mean to bond, to knit, to tie. And for loose, they're words that mean to break up, destroy, dissolve, loose, melt, put off. According to Jewish legal phraseology, binding and loosing, hear this today, were authoritative declarations spoken over people. Now, to be clear, there's a lot to be dealt with when understanding precisely what Jesus was dealing with in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. But what I want us to see is that Jesus affirms that our words have power. Someone shout power. power. What we say, what you say, what I say, what Pastor Howie says, what Dr. Laurie says, what Devon says, what Bree says, what Stephen says. These are people in the front row that I can just name really quick, okay? They have power. Come on, this side over here. Did you know your words? They have power. Center section. Your words have power. Power. Yes, thank you. Awesome. This section over here. Come on, somebody. Your words have power. Your words have power. And so we have to take our words seriously. And I believe this is an issue that not very many of us assess in our lives. How many of you agree with me? We work to steward our bodies, right? You see people, they got every supplement, they got every shake, they got four blenders in their house, right? We do everything that we do to steward our bodies. We're at the gym and, and we run and we, and we flex and we pump and we do everything that we possibly can to steward our bodies. We steward our jobs. We work diligently. We, we work more hours than maybe we're even supposed to and we, we focus, we steward our relationships, we steward our finances by, by saving and, and working with them appropriately. And we, we steward our toys. How many of you have washed a boat this weekend? I saw a bunch of people washing boats. Don't make sense because they're in the water all the time, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to our words, very few of us actually consider them something to be stewarded well. See, many of us use our words, hear me today, as if they don't matter. Let me say that one more time. Many of us use our words as if they don't matter. Maybe it's talking to yourself. Maybe it's talking to others. But we use words in a way that often doesn't, we, we believe inherently with what we say that, oh, they don't matter. This is why we're confused. And when we're confronted by someone, as we've said something to them, and they've been significantly impacted by those words, whether positive or negative. You ever had that happen before? You ever had somebody confront you and they're like, man, when you said that, it ruined my year. And you said, what did I say? I don't remember saying that. But your words that you don't remember ruined somebody's year. Or have you ever had that moment where somebody confronts you and they're like, hey man, Bree, when you said those encouraging words to me in the lobby, it changed the trajectory of my life. And Bree's like, what words? I just said hi. <laughs> I use it as an illustration because it helps us understand that like most of the day, you and I aren't thinking about the words that we're saying. Yeah. We're just little chatterboxes. <laughs> words here, words there, words here, words there, words at work, words in the lobby, words at lunch, words at coffee, words, 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 words. But we're not thinking about the words that we're saying because we don't necessarily believe that they're powerful. But the words that you say can literally change the trajectory of somebody's life, positive or negatively. Yes, sir. Come on. Yeah. 
Y'all, y'all with me in church today? You could say something to somebody right after the service and you could literally alter their life. There are people here today who are on the edge and your encouragement could bring life back to them. Or your discouragement could destroy their world. Someone shout words. Words. They matter. So James tells us that our tongues have been set on fire by hell. That's a strong statement. How many of you agree with me? One that's incredibly confronting. But what James is saying is that our tongues, he's not saying that they're literally on fire by hell. This is what he's saying. He's saying that our tongues have been laced with our sinful nature. And we know this because of what Jesus says concerning the power source of our tongue, and that's our heart. Did you know that the power source of your tongue is your heart? That what controls this thing right here is not your brain, it's your heart. And many of us don't realize that sometimes. And maybe you've asked the question, man, why do I say some of these things that I say? You ever been there before? I say that sometimes, like, why did I say it that way? But the truth is, somebody needs to write this down today, your mouth will always expose your heart. Come on, can we get in everybody's business today? Your mouth will expose your heart. Did you know when they get your order wrong at Starbucks? I talk about this a lot, like they get my order wrong all the time. That's not true. You know when they get your order wrong at, uh, at Starbucks and you say a bunch of things? It's not because the order's wrong. It's because your heart's out of whack. Your coffee order or lack thereof didn't expose the inability of the barista. It exposed the content of your heart after you gave them a verbal beating over caramel. Is this all right with everybody today? It's the third service. We go in for it. All right, let's go. Okay, so this is not my opinion. This is Jesus' opinion, okay? Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers! I love he just shouts it out. (laughs) How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, this is Jesus speaking, church, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, there's a lot going on in this scripture. There's a lot of context here. But what we, what we need to hear is that the root of what Jesus is dealing with is that our heart causes our mouth to speak out of the overflow of this thing. Now, this is important, remembering that our sinful nature has laced our tongue It would be the Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, that would write concerning the baseline condition of our hearts. Listen to what he says. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's why sometimes when someone's like, I'm just just going with my heart. I'm like, please don't. (laughs) Come on, right? Just trusting my heart. You can't. It's deceitful above all things and desperately sick, he says. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 3 would highlight some of this with a deeper dive 
into the issue of sin and our hearts. He's going to suggest to us that all of us have fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. That we are all in sin at a baseline foundation. Can we agree on this biblical theology today? So the Bible would assert, not Jason Parrish, the Bible would assert that every single one of us is in need of a savior because we are broken by sin. Now, Paul would say this in verse nine. He'd say, what then? Are we any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it's written, listen to what sin has done to us. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Kind of sounds like Elijah, huh? All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Listen to what he says about their mouths because of this. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are their paths. And in the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Some of us right now are like, when is the good news? It's coming. Now we know that whatever the law says, he continues on to write, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight, listen, by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, oh, here's the good news. We call it the gospel. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what we need to understand. Your works can't save you. Your good day can't save you. Your nice words can't save you. There is only one who saves me. There is only one who saves you. His name is Jesus. He was placed on a cross. He was buried. He got up three days later, and he ascended at the right hand of God. We are saved by him when we put our faith in him. That's why we worship Jesus the way we do around here. It's because we're saved by Faith and the grace and the gift of Jesus. We often say this around here. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't pick it up in bulk at Costco. It's a gift of God. Now, why do, why do I work to build this case? I work to build this case because it helps us understand what actually happened to Elijah. And why the mere words from Jezebel would cause him to run for his life. Or as we discovered a few weeks ago why he would run for his soul. Here's what I want us to hear. Jezebel's words were not just words articulating her desired outcome for Elijah's life. Her words were the, were the fire that would set the dry and parched soul of Elijah on fire. It was the match. Elijah was weary. We know that. He went and slept underneath a broom tree. Have you ever had words that when somebody said it, it lit you up on the inside? And not in a good way. Not like I'm excited to tackle the world. Like they got inside of you and they started just running course. Yeah. Streets being burnt, buildings burnt down. You ever had those words before? Yeah. It's because words are powerful. And we can't be flippant about our words. See, the words that Jezebel would speak over the life of Elijah were not just letters that formed words that formed sentences. Jezebel's words were words that had power. They had the ability to design, 
They had the ability to build. They had the ability to author. They had the ability to create. In this case, her words created fear. They installed anxiety, and they initiated retreat in Elijah. Here's what I want us to hear today. Write this down if you're taking notes. Words are often the mechanism that causes the most significant amount of woundedness in our souls. Not traumatic experiences. Although I'm pretty sure that we could have a therapy, uh, like a therapy session in my office after church today, and all of us could rattle off all kinds of different moments that have taken place in our life where there was physical things and mental things and, and situations and car accidents and deaths and sicknesses that have all caused things inside of us. But come on, let's be honest today. We could also sit in my office and we could look at moment after moment after moment where nothing physical took place. Somebody just said something. And it got in you. That word was like a laser beam and just whoop, it got in you. It was pointed and it was direct. And maybe the person saying it didn't even understand what they were saying, but it got inside of you. I remember my mom was in the first two services, so I'd point to her when I said this, but you can ask her. She can verify this. On one of my report cards as a preschooler or a kindergartner, they said that I got an F. I failed skipping. I didn't even know they judged you on that. I didn't know there was a grade system in school. None of you have ever been graded on skipping, have you? I'm 40 years old, and I still remember that F. <laughs> it got up in my soul. To this day, I don't skip. I'm scared of what will happen. They told me I failed. <laughs> but that's a little tiny thing, right? But that got in me. And I still remember that because it would be a, a line in a series of statements that would be made to the validity of who Jason is. So it was failed skipping in preschool and kindergarten, but then it would be my, it'd be one of my principals in Bible college that would tell me, as I talked about last week, that I'm not smart enough to pastor a church and plant a church and lead a church. How many of you know that got up in my soul? And then guess what happened? That statement, along with failing skipping, they grabbed hands and started doing a number in my soul. They started dancing around in there. Ha, 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 see, you can't do it. Ha, 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 they were right. You failed skipping and you failed this too. Or is that just my soul? And so these words, not situations that wound us. Someone shout words. They're the powerful things. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to minimize circumstances and situations. I'm just trying to maximize so that we understand what words can do. Yes. They could be actually just as visceral as the abuse that took place. Yes. I want you to hear this today. Somebody's words could hit just as hard as their fist. Yes. So here's what I've come to learn. I've got a few just thoughts about words and then we're gonna get to the main points that I wanna just quickly say today, just some truths that we need to hear, but here's some things that I've learned about the power of words in relation to the soul. Uh, our soul, other soul. Here's the first thing. Rogue words wage war on ruined souls. Think about that. Rogue words wage war on ruined souls. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless, or shall reckless? Yes. Pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Have you ever been the recipient of a drive-by wording? Yeah. 
and you walked away pretty wounded from it, they didn't even necessarily care who the words hit. It just hit. Just words everywhere. And then the casualties of those irresponsible rogue words. You ever scrolled past somebody that you know on Facebook and you saw their comment? wasn't even directed at you, but it got in your soul. Now you hate them. And then you see them at church. <laughs> and they're like, why are you acting all weird? It's because they're rogue words. Come on, somebody shout words. They're powerful. They'll get in you. Rogue words. Come on, rogue words wage war on ruined souls. When our soul is in a ruined condition, random words can wreak havoc. This is why we care so much in our culture right now about the things that people are saying, and we don't even know who they are. But because of the condition of our soul, somebody's rogue words have massive weight because words do things. Here's the second thing I've, oh, I want to say this before we move on to this one. I want to ask you a question. Do you pay attention to the words that we use and say, or are our words rogue? Are they just put out there with no consideration of where they will land and who they will land upon? Here's the second thing I've realized about words is that weaponized words wage war on weary souls. Come on, show of hands, just truth moment. How many of us have been weary before in these past couple of years? How many of you are maybe weary right now? I want, I want to caution you that people's weaponized words can wreak havoc on a weary soul. And you're going to face them. You're going to be in, you're going to be in the workplace and somebody might directly. Now, weaponized words are this, words that are meant to hurt. Come on, have you, ever been the, have you ever been the recipient of words that were meant to hurt? You know that that was meant to hurt you. Right. You're like, you said that on purpose. They're like, yes, I did. Because <laughs> they were flinging arrows at you and your soul's weary. And because of their weaponized words, some stuff started to happen inside of you. Why? Because weaponized words will wreak havoc. They will wage war on weary souls. Listen to what the psalmist says in 64 verses 2 to 4. He says, hide me from the scheming of wicked people, from the mob of evildoers who sharpen their tongues like swords and aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from concealed places at the blameless. That's like people hiding behind rocks to just shoot words at you. You can't see me. Bam! Got you. Weaponized words. Words meant to hurt. Here's the third thing I've realized. Is that lazy words, listen to this one. Lazy words wage war on leaderless souls. So the Bible tells us that we are to lead our soul. To make sure that we're leading our soul in health. That's why this series, I've heard from so many people that this series has been deeply impactful for many of you. Because we started talking about an area of our lives that doesn't get a lot of conversation and consideration at times. Because a lot of us haven't been leading our soul. But here's what I want us to recognize is that when our soul is leaderless, somebody's lazy words have the ability to step into an authoritative position and lead your soul for you. Come on, if we're honest, I won't make you show hands, but how many of you would say, man, I've been led by some people's lazy words before? And so that's why we need to be direct with our words. That's why we need to be precise with our words. And we have to understand that words have, someone shout power. Power. Here's the last thing I want us to hear. Critical words wage war on cracked souls. One of the things that we do here as a staff, one of the rules that we have at, at the well as a staff, 
is we do not critique Sundays on Sunday. Come on. And here's why. Because we're all tired. We've given out. Much of our team has given out. So we got some cracks going on. It's, it, it, it's dried up a little bit. And so the last thing I want to hear is a critique about what went wrong. Because in that place, how many of you know those cracks start to get bigger? Where, where they're a little bit parsed and a little bit dry because we've, we've now been exposed. And I want to make sure that our team can walk away. And so what do we do? We just refresh, we just refresh dry places. Everything, how, how was worship? Awesome. How was kids ministry? Awesome. How was out there? Awesome. How was the preaching? Awesome. How was the parking lot? Awesome. Was there anything not awesome? No, it was awesome. <laughs> then we walk into the office on, on Monday. They're like, hey, we need to have a meeting about the lack of awesome that took place yesterday. <laughs> There's a lot of awesome that happens, but how many of you know when you're dry and you're a little cracked, that critique, it just makes a cavernous Critical words wage war on crack souls. Some of us are saying critical words to people in the name of keeping it real, failing to realize that their soul's in a cracked place and you are devastating them. This is what Proverbs 15 says, verse 4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Am I talking to anybody in church today? And the truth that we must come face to face with as it pertains to the story of Elijah now, I want you to hear this. This is how we have to toggle through a message like this. Is that in some moments, we are Elijah. Everybody shout, I'm Elijah. Elijah. Come on, everybody shout, I'm Elijah. Elijah. And in other moments, I'm Jezebel. Come on, someone shout, I'm Jezebel. <laughs> yeah, you said that very depressed. <laughs> You're like, I'm Elijah, I'm Jezebel. <laughs> On some days, church, I'm Elijah. Words coming at me, they're getting up in my soul. I'm wanting to run for my life, and they're affecting me. But on other days, church, if I'm really honest with you, I'm Jezebel. I said some things that got up in somebody's soul. I said some things that got up in my wife's soul. I said some things that got up in my kid's soul. I said some things that got up in a friend's soul. And so I've got to be so aware. Am, am I being Elijah today or am I being Jezebel today? And if I'm being Jezebel, i got to get on my knees and repent because at the end of the day, that's not who I want to be. But everybody shout, I'm Elijah. Everybody shout, I'm Jezebel. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. <laughs> but isn't it funny? We tend to read ourselves into almost every story in the Bible as the hero. When we read that story for the past couple of weeks, everybody was like, yeah, just I, I feel what Elijah's feel. I am Elijah. No one walked away and went, you know what? I think today I've been Jezebel. Nobody thought that. When you read the story of David and Goliath, we're always David. Never Goliath. Never the giant out there taunting. Come on, when we were talking about the disciples, you've been every disciple except for one. You've named them. You've written them down. Today I'm Peter. I know. Today I'm, I'm Matthew. It's been one of those days. No one ever said today I'm Judas. <laughs> Come on, can we be honest at church today? 
I, I beg for the day somebody goes public on Instagram and be like, hey guys, it's been a Judas type of day. Like, it's, it's been rough. Be like, thank you. At times we've allowed words and the power of those words to take up residence in our souls. And in other moments, we've been the ones whose words have taken residence in the souls of others. Yeah. I, I want to say this, write, write this down, just like a handle today. We must watch our mouths as close as we watch our souls. We know according to scripture that words influence, they persuade, they control, they build up, they tear down. Words shape the contours of our lives and the lives of others. Words both erect walls and tear them down. Man, there's so much, there's so much here. As Gary Eberl in his book, Dangerous Words, states, with words we breathe reality into being. His statement only confirms what God's word has revealed to us about the power of language and the use of our words. And so with the remainder of our time together today, I want to take just a quick few moments to share some truths that I believe are absolutely necessary for us to understand about our words and the power of our tongues. Need your help today? We're going to burn through these pretty quick. Come on, everybody, shout number one. Here's the first thing we need to understand. First truth is that small words have big power. Small words have big power. James chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. I want to ask you this question before, show of hands. How many of you have ever gotten a small rock in your shoe? I want us to understand that a small rock in your shoe is the same as small words in your soul because they have big power. Nobody ever had a boulder in your shoe. You've never had a rock the size of a Hot Wheel in your shoe. You take care of that really quick, wouldn't you? Right, if there's this just massive rock lodged in your shoe, you'd be pretty quick to like get that thing out. But here's what's funny about small rocks is that we try to leave them in. You ever notice that? We say things like this, we'll get it later, right? And everybody's shouting at you because you're like 50 yards behind them now and you're like, hey, can you hurry up? Because you're hobbling because you have a small little rock that you left in your shoe. And that's words. They may be small. They may feel small to you, but can I say they have big power. Your, your small words over your children have big power. Your small words in your marriage has massive power. Your small words in your small group have massive power. Your small words in your cubicle have massive power. Your small words in that, in that board meeting has massive power. Your small words at school, come on church, they have massive power. Small words have big power. How do we know that we've got a low view of words? Well, when we say things like this, it was just a comment on a post. You have a low view of words. I didn't really mean it that way. You ever said that before? You have a low view of words. You did mean it that way. You're just covering up. How about this one? You're just being too serious. 
That's your way to try to retract something that you saw have impact. Can we talk about communication? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever beta tested a negative word on somebody? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to say this. And if they get all scrunchy about it, but like, I was just playing, I was just playing. And inside your mind, you're like, I'm going to try to figure out another time to get that place the right way. Uh I was just being sarcastic. Well, your sarcasm is horrible. And it's actually destroying me. Words that seem like small ones have great power in our lives and the lives of others. Number two, every shot number two. Is this helping anybody today? To love life is to avoid words of death. To love life is to avoid words of death. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. That's what the Bible says. You're like, how do I love life? Well, Peter just told us. The one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here's the simple truth that I need some of us to recognize today. Your mouth sucks. Come on, let that one sit for a second. Come on. You're like, did he just say that in church? Yeah, should I say it again? Your mouth sucks. It's sucking the life out of your family. It's sucking the life out of your school. It's sucking the life out of your workplace. It's sucking the life out of your spouse. It's sucking the life out of your kids. Why? Because your mouth is oriented towards death rather than life. It's amazing how many negative, backbiting, gossiping, slandering, vicious, complaining, and murmuring people I meet. All of them describing themselves as followers of Jesus. And so many wonder why their lives, relationships, marriage, singleness, and kids are what they currently are. We wonder why we can't connect and go deep with people. Is it possible you're sowing words of death? Is it possible that we're sowing words that cause others to run for their soul to a broom tree in a cave or simply run away from you? Or are we the recipients of these words? Can you toggle with me today? Some days I'm Elijah. Some days I'm Jezebel. Number three. Last one's this. Every shot. Number three. Invite the team back up. This one's important for us to understand. What we articulate is what we architect. What we articulate is what we architect. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says this, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, no foul language should come from your mouth. And this is more than just like the four-letter words that many of us are accustomed to, Okay. He says, no foul language should come from your mouth. Language that destroys, language that is divisive, language that's overly critical, language that's that's gross, language that isn't meant to do anything positive. No foul language should come from your mouth. So what should come from a mouth? Only what is good for building up someone in need. 
And here, here it is. So that it's, so Paul highlighting the fact that other people hear words that are going on. Watch what he's saying. He's giving directional truth. He says, I want you to say things only what is good for building up someone in need. Listen to what happens. Watch what happens. So that it gives grace to those who hear. See, I, I want to make sure that my words are seasoned in such a way that when I'm talking to Howie, you get the seasoning. Oh, this is so convicting for me. And I'm not being sarcastic when I say this. I don't always do this good. We don't always do this good. But I want my words to be seasoned in such a way that when I'm talking to her, my kids are growing. Because it's, it's one thing for me to say to my son, hey, son, this is how you should treat somebody. It's another thing for him to hear my words when he's in the living room and we are in the kitchen. So I need to say things that are there to build others up so that those who are just walking by go, oh, man, that's some salt, seasoning, sugar, good. Is what you articulate, you will architect. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph E. John E. Joseph, professor of applied linguistics at the University of Edinburgh, writes this: Without language, there's no beliefs. Language shapes culture, beliefs, ideas, cities, countries, the world. Language or words shape who we are, and our words have the power to shape who others are becoming. I've got two daughters and a son. I want to focus on my daughters for just a second. Right now, as a dad of especially a 12-year-old daughter, like I tell my five-year-old she's cute all the time, because she is. She runs in. She got a new bike helmet yesterday. It's a kitty cat. I don't know how it got past my front door, but whatever. Um, <laughs> So what was, she, what was she doing at breakfast this morning? Wearing a helmet. Wearing a helmet. I walked in, I was like, so cute. You're so cute. She is. Oh, right. Cat. But I got a 12-year-old daughter right now who's changing. She's growing. She's becoming beautiful. So guess what I say to her all the time? Not flippantly. I tell her, Shiloh, you are absolutely beautiful. Stunning. Name some of the stuff, her freckles that are on her face. And I see, I see Erica in her. You're so beautiful. You're so amazing, Shiloh. Now, I'm not doing that because that's my job. I've got a secondary purpose behind that as well. I'm instilling words inside of her soul that become the defense mechanism when somebody else tries to insert words into her soul. Y'all see what I'm talking about? Because I want her. I want her as she gets older. And that knucklehead comes knocking. Can we go prom? Right? When, when some random Joe comes along and says, Shiloh, you're, you're so beautiful. I want her to measure the words that I've placed in her soul against the words that somebody else is trying to place in her soul. And it'll be a good mechanism. I know that sounds weird, but I, I hope that it happens. She's like, no, you don't mean that like my dad meant it. 
You're not saying it with the conviction that he said it with. You're not saying that loving me the way that he loved me. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to establish a better vision for her future, for her, with the words that I'm inserting into her. And here's the problem, is that some of us are lacking the Father's words for our life. And so we are being penetrated by the words around us everywhere else. So you wonder why the wind blows and you blow with it. And that word comes at you and, and, and it hits you. And instead of standing, you rocked. It's a firm foundation. I will not. I'll come on somebody. I will not be moved. And that's the words. When you get this inside of you. It's protection. And so someone says, you're worthless. Bing! Why? Because I got a shield of truth with me. And a word that's a sword as well. So it's either going to bounce off or I'm going to hack that word to death. Nope, that's not what he said about me. You're an addict. Not smart enough. Bing! Right? I showed the Bible to the F that I got in skipping. <laughs> you have no place here. No place. So this is what James would say. He said in verse 1, Not many should become teachers. My brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Why? Because words are powerful. We live in a world now where everyone believes they're a teacher. Believes they have the right to say something. Failing to realize that their words are lighting cities on fire. Souls on fire. Because what we articulate is what we architect. One last word that was said, and I close on this. It's found in John chapter 19, verse 30. This is Jesus' words. And he said, the moment of his death, when Jesus received sour wine, these are the words he said. It is finished. And... Here's what I want you to know. Scholars and theologians agree that when Jesus was speaking this, it was a loosing and binding statement. Yes. He said, what has been provided for in heaven yes. is provided for, for me, through me. Yes. And the sin and the brokenness and the animity and the strife in his body, creating a full atonement for our sin, yes. he said, it's finished. Yes. And that's why you and I because of his death and his words, can come to him and say, Jesus, here I am. I receive your gift of salvation in Jesus' mighty name. Come on in the church, shout it. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. I want to pray for us. And Pastor Howie will be up in a second to just talk about some next steps and 
stuff like that. But maybe today you'd say, man, I need to say yes to this Jesus who said it is finished. Maybe you've been kicking the tires on faith, been around for a while trying to figure this thing out, but you'd say today, man, those words, it is finished, they're for me. I wanna follow you, Jesus. If that's what's in your heart today, if that's what's going on in this moment right now, we're gonna pray a prayer. All of us together, so don't leave anybody out. There's nothing fancy or special in these words, but rather the heart from which these words come. And so if today you'd say, man, Jason, that's me. I wanna say yes to Jesus. Make this your prayer today. Come on, we're gonna do this as loud as we can so we don't leave anybody out. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, and make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me that I might have new life in and through you. In Jesus' name.